everybody. It's time to roll for intent with the creator's corner. We are back with our second episode of Impossible Lands, and it's going to be a doozy for you. But before we even get into that, how are you doing today, Trevor? Good. We did the Renfest yesterday, so I'm kind of tired. It was a long day. Kids dug it. You know, we don't get a ton of those in my area, and I've never been to one. Always wanted to go. We do get some, but every time they're happy, it's like in the middle of harvest and I can't go. How about you? Oh, I've been doing good. I've been having a lot of fun getting getting stuff all published up for our West Marches game. Just trying to plug away at that. It is a massive endeavor, so I am happy that... Oh, yeah, there's always stuff going on for that. I wish I could... I wish I had the, the bandwidth to run more of them. Yeah, I just... I ran a game, got three going this coming up weekend for Thanksgiving weekend, and just finished a 10-page source book for our settings, so... Got that out to the people, so we're chugging along. So very cool. But you know what? We're here for something else. We're here to talk about the impossible. Impossible lands. And I think today we're going to kind of mosey on through the regions uh, that we are presented with in this book, and specifically the mechanical aspects of the regions. We're not going to go into a deep dive on lore, because that's not what we're here for. You want that? Go talk to Go cut to Liam at Cardinal Adventures or something. He'll he'll get you that lore dive. We're not here for that. You want all that lore? You buy the book. <laughs> That's right. But you want to hear about the uh, the mechanics associated with the lore? Got you. Every single region has a section at the end of detailing equipment, uh, feats. There are some archetypes. Uh, lots of fun stuff. There's even a gunslinger way. So you got class options available at the end of some of these these areas we finally get some magical tattoos so let's just jump right on into it we wanted to do that last time and we ended up going like an almost an hour talking about the ancestries from here <laughs> oof so first off the bat we have alkenstar and i will say the art in this book is really great and paizo always does such a good job with the art but you know, the the first page when you turn to the Alkenstar section, it looks just like, you know, this ah, a little less magical steampunk. But it is, you know, there's these giant gears. There's some rat folk having a conversation. You have a bunch of factory workers on top of a roof. You see guards armed with guns wandering the streets. <laughs> it, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, this chapter's peppered with dirigibles and lots of fun, very Victorian steampunk fantasy stuff. So if that is your jam, this this region and this section of the book is going to be really up your alley, along with things like Outlaws of Alkenstar or Headshot the Rot, which are two, a, a adventure path and a one-shot adventure, respectively, that are set in the Duchy of Alkenstar. And inexorably tied to it is something called Dongan Hold, which is a uh, dwarven Sky Citadel uh, that is a close partner with Alkenstar. I said we weren't going to go too into the lore, but it's kind of important to realize why there's so many dwarves in the Alkenstar region and why a lot of the uh, technology is, is coming from like dwarven technology coming from the Sky Citadel. So you have that like hub of advancement along with this hub of innovation of Alkenstar as well. Uh, that kind of work together in the mana wastes region where it's kind of low magic. So it's got to be high technology. 
And, you know, it's not that many people. I'm looking here, settlement level 14. It's only got 4,164 population. That's not that many. Which is expected. It's the mana wastes, the middle of nowhere. This is true. But after every little section, and it goes about, it tells you about the people and, you know, all the stuff that you would expect and are used to. But I think, I don't remember if Mwangi did this, this whole little player section at the end of each of these little chapters. I can't remember either. I was so focused on the ancestries in that book, and that was before we were reviewing things for content that I was just pulling out the stuff that I needed for my games. And I have not read all the way through that one. Yeah, I don't feel like they did, but maybe they did. I'm sure someone will yell at us if they did. Oh, I'm sure. I expect it at this point. So under the Adventuring in Alkenstar equipment section, we have Alkenstar Icewine, which is kind of interesting. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a, a huge in-game effect. It really is wine, per se. <laughs> right. It just gives you the effect that wine would give you. It's just a regional varietal. Uh, which is important because they talk about that as being a big export of Alkenstar. So it makes sense that they put it in the equipment, right? They're going to talk it up, put it in the equipment listing. I do wish there was some thing that differentiated it mechanically, uh, but eh, whatever. They have the plated duster, which is honestly kind of a light armor attachment. It improves your light armor. It is this duster fitted with metal plates. And you wear it with light armor, and it improves the armor, but then it also makes the check penalty worse. It makes the dex cap worse, but and adds two to the strength. So it's kind of, and it technically makes the armor medium. So it's kind of an interesting little thing here. I'm not, I will say I'm not actually 100% sure on what we're doing here with this, as it's turning it into a medium armor in a sense of like, okay, pick up the medium armor. And because it says it is now medium armor, I'm. it just says, and it says you use the uh, proficiency bonus appropriate with this adjusted armor type. So if you're not proficient with medium armor, you know, I just don't understand it. it to, to be frank, it's very cool. I love the concept, but the fact that it turns it into medium armor from light, I'm like, well, this isn't better than any medium armor. So <laughs> I just not quite following it. I think it's kind of like the armored skirt. It is effectively the armored skirt. So like it would take medium armor to heavy armor. So it would work out well for like maybe you begin a game. And this is a level zero item. So maybe you don't have enough money at your start to get full medium armor or the medium armor that you would want necessarily. I guess that's true. We are in the mana waste. So yeah, this is a super cheap thing. So right. It's only two gold. Um, I think it's cool, too. I think it's thematically cool. It fits with the setting. Oh, yeah, I no, it was really cool neat. as hell. I really liked it. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I could see me putting it on a character just for thematic reasons, maybe dropping it on one of my uh, many thaumaturges. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> we got a pocket watch. Um, just helps keep time, uh, which makes sense. We're steampunky. Let's use, let's use all the gears that we can. And there's something that's a wrench gear. Think of it like a, it's a sonic screwdriver. Well, it's it's insanely specialized, though. It is because it gives you a plus two item bonus to disable device checks made against clockwork creatures. So this is an insanely specialized item. So while it's an item level three, it gives you a plus two bonus, only basically attempting to wind down clockwork 
creatures. It works so really that, well on the right in the right campaign. Oh no, absolutely, and that's why it's a you know a, a regional tool for sure. Coming up next in this is, I think, the thing that you were most excited to find in this book, right? Yes. Uh, there is a new animal companion here called a water wraith, and it is this very cool-looking, eight-legged, uh, basilisk-looking, and by that I mean like an earth basilisk. It's got a sort of a frill. It's this very pretty blue color. But the thing that honestly stood out the most to me with this creature is This is kind of the first creature that is really, it's a step up from your normal animal companions in the fact that, you know, it's got, it's all the standard animal companion stuff. It does have a little less hit points. It starts with six as a small creature, which is pretty common. Uh, The jaws D8, claws D6, and they're agile. And the support benefit is, you know, until the start of your next turn, each time you hit a creature with the water within the water wraith's reach, the creature is dazzled for one round. So, okay, nothing stupendous there. But when we get to the advanced maneuver, Gulp Blood, it is a single action, and it has a requirement that your last action was a successful jaw attack against a foe. If you hit with that successful action, you just get to spend one action. There is no attack roll. There is no anything. You gain 2d8 temporary hit points and deal 2d6 persistent bleed damage to the target of that hit. So you heal your, or I'm sorry, your animal companion heals and you add 2d6 persistent bleed. And once your animal companion gets a specialization, this jumps to 3d8 temporary hit points and 3d6 persistent bleed. This is a huge power boost to a animal companion. Because you're essentially adding 3d8 heal and 3d6 persistent bleed for a single action, and they only, you know, if they get two actions, so it's standing there in a fight, then this thing's actually a, a pretty impressive foe, honestly. This thing's pretty cool. I guess we want to actually make a ranger or something for the first time. Yeah, I, I personally have felt that animal companions were a little on the weak side which is fine for what they were and the fact that anyone can get them with like the beast mastery or the beast master but i still felt there you should maybe be souped up animal companions that maybe require a few extra feats to gain access to them but this one's really cool this to me is a kind of a, a definitely something if you want that more combative animal companion to get up in a fight and hang with your ranger this is the one i mean that healing 2d8 or 3d8 if you're already on a foe attacking it, that's that's pretty great. We also add a uh, gunslinger way in here as well. I don't know a huge amount about gunslingers. I've never really built one. They've never been my thing, right? Um, but this looks to be one that really is supposed to make use of combination weapons. It's called a trigger brand, and there are special trigger brand weapons, but it's supposed to be... Uh, Meant for something that is in melee re- range mostly and can extend into range if they want to. I, like I said, I don't have the mechanical knowledge of a gunslinger to go in and really talk to how well this works out. But from what I've read from uh, other people, there have been some mixed opinions, but I think that'll kind of get sussed out a little bit more as people are able to play with it and actually see how well it works. From a 50,000 foot view, not knowing a huge amount about gunslayers, it seems neat. Uh, but I'm going to have to build one eventually and, and see what it plays like. 
Yeah, I read through it a little bit and I I kind of agree in the sense a little lackluster. I don't see this as certainly being anything. I don't know. The original the original set of paths for the gunslinger seem far more interesting to me than this one. But again, this is kind of a, a like everything in here, very regional. So I, I get it if you you've done those options and you're looking for something to just be have more flavor and do stuff. So I, it didn't strike me as you know horrible. I just. As I'm in the same boat as you, I'd never play gunslingers and probably will maybe play one, maybe. And yeah, not looking for anything fancy with it. So I always found that combination weapons were poorly served by gunslingers anyway, because it feels like a fighter would do much better with them anyway. But that's me. I think a fighter with like a, you know, one of those uh, axe blunderbusses. Oh, yeah. Does a lot better job with that as like a free handed fighter that can actually move into ranged if they have to than a gunslinger that's a ranged that has to go into melee and is kind of squishy and doesn't have heavy armor and stuff. So you do what you will with it. But for my money, combination weapons are great for fighters. Uh, we do have a pretty amusing archetype in here the shield marshal. This is so very Orwellian. It's really yeah, weird. No, I love it. I like the, it. the fourth level feat is you called consolidated overlay panopticon panopticon has like holy crap <laughs> but yeah you volunteer for a controversial experimental procedure to install a clockwork prosthetic eye <laughs> yeah and that it you essentially relay stuff back to headquarters and they give you you benefits when you use it so yeah it's it's dystopian it's really weird but these are the guard forces of alkenstar and you can Go ahead and build a character as a guard. It, it's it's interesting. You know, you get society and courtly graces, and you have something called uh, surge time. Uh, I think is what they're calling it. But you can essentially turn it on for a certain amount of time, and it gives you benefits to a few of your... Yeah, like the prosthetic eye, you supercharge it, and for the next minute, you gain dark vision and low light vision, right. and a plus one status bonus to perception checks, visual perception checks. Works out well for a lot of these ancestries in this book, which last time we had a conversation about this book, we noted that only one of them has dark vision. So it's a good way to get it through an archetype for this when you is need true. it. true. Our next little, I think this is an island, isn't it? Bopan? Yeah, Bopan. This is um, Zootopia on steroids. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Fey influence in Bopan as well. So it's, it's, um, they're primarily human. Almost everybody has some, some Fey blood or uses some Fey magic in some way. It's, I think it's more like Fern Gully than Zootopia, honestly. Yeah, that's probably fair. The, each one of these sections, when it talks about the nation, it, there's a, a part that says the peoples, and it tells you all the ancestries that are found there. This one is beastkin fey and fey-touched humans. That is all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it looks real neat. I mean, I, we've had conversations off-air about how much I like fey in the game and like the amount of GMing opportunities and RP opportunities that are afforded to you by having access to some sort of capricious creature whose motives are otherworldly. So you can do a lot of fun trickstery stuff with them um, and have really crazy motives. 
Uh, and I really enjoy being able to do that as a player or as a GM. So I need to get into this this location a little bit more because I feel like it would really tick a few of my boxes, honestly. There is also a full bona fide recipe in this section, too. <laughs> yeah, what what is that? Is it like a cake For, or something? Yeah, babinka, a layered dessert. Gives you all the ingredients you need and tells you how to prepare it. That is neat. Think I think I've seen a couple of YouTubers that have done that already. Have have made this. Yes, I know. Uh, when we had Liam on, he was talking about he was doing some of the the cooking sections from some of the books, and it was he said he was having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, we have a a, a picture of a, a little green carriage being drawn by it looks like these cicadas or something there's like four of them gigantic pulling it along there's just such cool art in here next we have i don't some she's petting this weird octopus hermit crab thing with (laughs) she's she's way out there she looks very cool though yeah there's a lot of fey and gremlin looking things in this art so I love the fey gremlin with the giant head and the and the knife it it just it's great it's so weird and sinister looking. It's got a third eye on its forehead. I'm digging it. I'm digging the face stuff, man. This one under the adventuring section is actually has a lot of Bopanese dance feats. That's were pretty cool there. There's uh, various things like the first one's a stance and it is rare, but it is for either a bard, a rogue or a swashbuckler. Right, all of these Bopanese dance feats come from this masquerade of season stance. They use it as a requirement, and you have to be in the stance uh, for you to be able to use the benefits of the feat. So I'm all down for more stances. Stances are fun. It's actually very powerful in the sense that it's a level four feat, and you choose one of the following traits, water, fire, negative, or cold, and you gain resistance five to damage dealt by those effects with the chosen trait. Uh, you can get a reaction at level six that um, the pirouette, pirouette. <laughs> so it's it's like a dodge. It's like a nimble dodge. So it's a plus two circumstance bonus to AC against a triggering triggering attack. And if it misses you, and if it misses you, you can step. If it hits you anyway, uh, it does damage reduction equal to half your level. Neat stuff. I mean, seems like a no-brainer if you're going to go for a dance-themed character. Yes, that actually is really cool, because these all of these follow-up feats, they have a requirement that you are in the Masquerade of Seasons stance. So I really like that concept that you have these feats that, you know, are companion feats to the one you've already taken, and you gain more powerful abilities for it. The level 8 one gives you an airwalk, a 45-degree airwalk up to your speed, so that's also very fun. Anything that gives you access to some sort of flight is a win in my book. Uh, next, we have Fae Influence. and More Fae Influence, mind you. Yes. Because we already had Fae Influence. We get more stuff. This is true. I was always kind of disappointed with Fae Influence. Like, I liked the idea of putting it in a character, but the mechanical benefits weren't that great. Some of these are are a little bit cooler. Like, there's one that lets you cast Ill Omen as an innate spell. That is fun. And, yeah, these are really cool. And this one, this is a fifth-level feat available to any ancestry. And 
You become trained in primal disease and spell attack rolls. You gain a fey trait based on one of the following features, and it grants an innate primal spell that you can use once per day. And there is Anteater, Cat Sith, Cursed Bluebird, Dryad, Fawn, Gremlin, Monarch, and Unicorn. I think we already had access to Anteater, Gremlin, Monarch, and maybe Dryad? I can't remember. I think there were four, but I do remember Gremlin, Monarch, and Anteater. But they're very cool. Giving you innate ability to cast heal once per day is pretty great to throw on something that normally couldn't cast a spell. And it's just an innate thing, right? I like yeah, no, uh, I like very cool. Influence. It's yeah. rare, so you're not going to be able to use it in every campaign, but it's fun. Yes, and I, I have played with a fair number of friends that would just die for their characters to have a unicorn horn and be able to cast heal. <laughs> yeah, and they get some uh, additional feats that branch off of Fey Influence. Once again, I love feat trees. I know that 2E has largely eschewed them uh, in favor of allowing you to be a lot more flexible. But whenever feat trees show up, I always love to see them and try them out in builds and test them in builds. And we get some feat trees. I don't want to get too much into it because we've been we've been really hammering in and we're 20-something minutes into this already. But Drain Emotion allows you to do a Canarock check against an Emotion Effect. Fey Ascension takes whatever you got from Fey Influence and makes it more, right? It enhances whatever Fey Influence you've gotten. And Cannibalize Magic uh, allows uh, you to do, uh, to, to essentially drain one of your own magic items to benefit you for a certain amount of time. So, like, you can drain the power out of a magic item for a day in order to get a benefit. Following that, we have the Green Watch feats, which are uh, very similar to what we saw with the uh, Dance feats, where they are only available to a tiny handful of classes. The Green Watch feats are the same. They are available for either Gunslinger, Investigator, or Ranger. And you're, they're just feats that allow to add on, basically revolving around scouting. Yeah, they, they very seem to be themed around. Uh, Themed around anti-fey police, or not necessarily anti-fey, but but in people empowered to uh, police the fey. Essentially, they have things like defy fey and fey tracker, and you know, really, really on theme. You'd think that you would have to have people that were specialized in dealing with fey if you have an entire society that's mostly fey, right? Makes sense. On theme, I love on theme stuff. Next, moving down the list, we have Geb. One of the best art in this book are the undead and the cities of Geb. It is very cool. Tell me, man, the first, or rather third, I think, third art piece in the Geb section is this massive reptilian creature shredding something to pieces. Undead reptilian creature. There's just blood everywhere. There's arms flying. It's pretty gruesome. And a bunch of skeletons standing around a field picking up sh- looks like straw or wheat or something. And <laughs> very, very idyllic setting. Gab is a land of undead. Um, there are not undead there, but they're primarily cattle. It's not a good place to be if you're a uh, sentient humanoid. Not at all. Yeah, it's there's a lot of uh, I mean, it actually kind of sounds like a pretty interesting place in the sense 
But I actually like one of the sections in here they talk about in the cities that the problem is because the majority of inhabitants are undead, that, you know, they only die when there is an accident or they are murdered. You know, they get crushed by something or what have you. That space becomes such an issue because you don't have you you just you don't have people ever disappearing. A <laughs> uh, hundred people in a hundred years might turn into ninety people instead of zero. <laughs> and they go over a lot of settlements in here too, uh, and it makes sense because you know the current adventure path that's being published is set in Geb, uh, so it makes perfect sense that they would have a lot of stuff fleshed out, maybe stuff that's being used sparingly scattered about inside of the adventure path or things that like fell out of the adventure path, things that they wanted to include somewhere. So it makes sense. That this is such a large section. It's one of the largest sections in the book, uh, but it's great. All the art's great. Um, all the little bits that I've read about each individual city that differentiates them, uh, really, really fun stuff. Uh, and, and I really like uh, the stuff that they added at the end of the adventuring in Geb. Uh, because it's a lot of curses, and I oh, really yeah, like curses. They, yeah, and they go over how that's actually a form of their legal punishment is people get cursed because so many things are undead or what have you that that you have to live with these curses for a period of time, and then they deem that you've either served your sentence and removed them or what have you. But yeah, it's there's some pretty cool ones. Yeah, and some of them are just really cool for RP reasons. Yes, they have they impart a a mechanical detriment to you, like the Curse of Petulant Whispers is really cool. There's a disembodied voice that follows you around and tells everybody all the things you did wrong. So it gives you a minus to diplomacy checks. Neat. It's only a level two curse, so it's easy to counteract when you get high enough level, but it's a fun little thing that you can, you know, put on a player that for RP reasons, they're like trying to hide some secret or something like that. That can be really interesting for uh, RP reasons to bring that out. If the character has a secret that they want to reveal in some way, having them run afoul of the law somewhere and this get placed on them or this get placed on them by, you know, somebody that they run afoul of in general is a really cool way to do that story exposition in a way that makes sense within the world without feeling, without it feeling tacked on. Really cool stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm a huge fan of, you know, classic, you've broken into this tomb or, you know, defiled some burial site. Curses are so much fun for that. And the curse of the rotting heart, I saw this one. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so going to use this one against players. And if you fail the save, you are harmed by positive energy as if you were undead. You're also harmed by negative energy as if you were living. So it doesn't matter if you're undead or not, if you get this curse. Uh, neither of them can heal you. All forms of magic healing, such as Soothe, only restore half the normal amount of hit points. And alchemical healing and medicine checks and non-magical methods can heal you as normal. But this is, this is a horrid curse for an adventurer. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good way for a GM to, I mean, not that, not that I endorse uh, aggressive and uh, combative GMing styles. There's a really good way to put the screws to a party that like doubles up on like a life oracle and a cleric and it's just like beating things through attrition. Who boy, throw this one on their meat shield. Oh no, this is a level nine curse. So it's, it's not something you're going to throw on a low level adventurer. 
it's something that they'll probably be able to deal with with money and time and stuff. But it's really cool for the short time that it's going to be on them and really cool being really crappy for your players and make them find uh, interesting ways to solve the problem. Yeah, if they don't know what they've gotten and he gets hurt, oh, I'm going to heal you. Oh, sorry. You just did this much damage to him instead. Yep, I'm writing this one down. It's going in my playbook. And I actually don't feel bad about curses because of the way I use them. In a sense, I use them as very protective measures and have them a little more free, free form and available in the world. And like I said, if you're, you know, defiling tombs and grave robbing and things like that, then yes, you're getting curses. Those are those are the the defense against those things. And I think they're very cool to throw slightly higher level curses at parties when they try to do that stuff. So I have there's no also, pity for them. There's also a couple more RP related curses. Like one is the Lord's arrogance, where if you have this curse, uh, whenever you make a recall knowledge check, that would give you information. You also get a little bit of false information. So it's like you get dubious uh, knowledge on these checks, even if you succeed, you crit succeed or something, you're going to get false information as well. And you're going to believe it without most certainty. <laughs> I love the consummate liar. Whenever you're asked a question directly, you must attempt a DC 32 will save. It's level 14 curse on a failure. You spout an obvious lie with an automatic failure at your deception check. I just love that. That would be so much fun to role play. I think it's so great. Um, and even if you succeed, uh, if you choose to answer truthfully, you deal mental damage to yourself as you answer truthfully. It's neat. Yeah, spell catalysts. I know you love spell catalysts. Yeah, we got a bunch more. Some, yep, we've got uh, a grave token. I'll hit that one. It's a level four item. It's a one action. And when you use a harm spell, it basically adds a reach spell to it. You, for that one action, you can use your one action harm at 30 feet and your two action harm at 60 feet. It has no effect on the three action if you found a way to use it that way. But yeah, there's quite a few here. So it makes sense because this is a very magical necromancy region. So you would think it would have a lot to do with harm spells, negative energy, things like that. We have some pretty cool magic items. The carrion cask, it's basically this little box that consumes a body. You can do this once per day, and then it gives you a action that you emit a 30-foot cone of negative energy damage, does 66. It's a level 8 item, and it's just kind of a fun thing. I actually really enjoyed the fact that it just consumes a body even if it only did that i would probably pick it up just because it's like oh god we got to get rid of this body <laughs> pull out my box it's gonna eat it so yeah we've got qu quite a few fun items in here there's the uh where are we the palaquin of night it's basically this folded sheet and you unfold it and it turns into a palaquin with four specters that carry you around but they're very careful to say this does not work in combat situations at all yeah, and it protects you from sunlight, extreme heat and cold, um, and blocks most non-damaging forms of weather. So if you're just like doing a long trek and you need some way to deal with intense heat or intense cold, uh, great for that. Uh, next on the list, we have the lands of Jalmeray. This was and the one that I did not even know was a thing in the lore until I got this book. 
And just looking at the little, you know, the first page where it has that little breakdown of the people and the languages and that, there's a lot here. <laughs> I mean, there's so many ancestries here and gods and resources. It's a, it's a very interesting island. I guess this is supposed to be like a sort of like a Southeast Asian analog, perhaps. Uh, maybe some like Indonesian area. I need to go through this section because, like I said, this is a section of of Galarian I wasn't familiar with before skimming through this book and, and seeing this. And this is the region that, like, the Keshrishi are from, I believe, as well as the Vanaya, right? Yeah, I'm this is sure one, too, based on a lot of uh, monks and elementals, genie kin, things like that, so... It has, I believe even its government is kind of based around these temples and beings searching for perfection and things like that. Speaking of which, we got some student of perfection feats from this. We have not some, we have a lot of student of perfection feats. (laughs) Which is cool, because I always thought the student of perfection archetype was really, really cool, but did not have enough in it to make me really want to get into it and that has completely changed with this this really makes me want to build a monk with student of perfection or just a fighter with student of perfection so neat yeah i was gonna say they've corrected that in this one this one also has the adorable little siru familiar specific familiar and it is a tiny blue elephant with horns that kind of come off the edges of its ears and it is so freaking cute (laughs) this is my new favorite familiar like, I really like the living shadow thematically. I think it's really cool. I love elephants. Like, for Christmas last year, my wife got me, like, uh, and it went towards elephant conservation, got me, like, a special video thing from the elephant keepers at the Houston Zoo, and I really loved it. I'm really into elephants. I think they're great. So this is my new favorite familiar, and I want to make a witch with an elephant familiar now. It's so cute. And I will say I this has a trend on it that I started doing with Beast Foundry stuff, but I very, very much hope they continue this. This is a familiar that if you picked up familiar mastering, even if you weren't a spellcaster, it gives you stuff in a sense that it is a specific familiar. So you have to have four abilities before you can take it, which I believe you usually start with that anyways, give or take. But uh this gives you created magic and you gain the mage hand and guidance cantrip and guidance is a good cantrip. I mean, it is an awesome support cantrip. So even if you couldn't cast cantrips, you now have two cantrips. And if you can, you get to replace some of the ones on your list with these. So it's a really cool familiar because no matter what class you are, you could take this and gain an actual benefit. And I'm a huge fan of that. I, I think familiars that give the characters these tiny little benefits is really cool. This also gives you a, a fortune slash misfortune effect that you can do once per day, which allows you to apply a fortune or misfortune at your convenience, uh, your direction, uh, based on your class DC or your spell DC. Um, you can essentially have the target re-roll with fortune or misfortune effect once per day. That's pretty powerful, I think, you know, um, for it to be either or, not just like an ill omen or something like that, where it's one, you, you do one or the other with no real repercussions. Very cool. 
And we also have a, a section of new weapons here that ultimately I wasn't, I didn't see anything super special here for the most part. It's more theming, right? If you want a character that has this theming, you don't have to homebrew a weapon. Because I've seen that a lot, you know, where somebody wants a specific type of weapon because of a character concept. And they're like, well, just, you know, skin it as a short sword. And this gives you a little bit more. None of these are life changing, right? Yeah, we have a, a six advanced weapons here and they run like all advanced weapons. I have a tiny bit of an issue with a lot of advanced weapons because, yes, they definitely have some more options than most of the martial but these ones here, I just don't see anything that special. And to me, when I see an advanced weapon, I almost just skip over it because I know, you know, never going to use it. That The penalty to hit with that, unless you're a fighter, 100% focusing on advanced weapons, and that's going to be your your whole character is going after this one advanced weapon, then ah, the, the penalty is just too big to really play around so with them for me. Unconventional weaponry, if you're a human can get it, right? Or if it's... um you know, racial, like our ancestral uh, weapon, unconventional right? weaponry only allows you to take an uncommon weapon, not a advanced weapon, I believe. Right. But you can still take an advanced weapon that's uncommon, right? I believe. Right. Yes. But the problem is with advanced weapons is no one is trained in them except a fighter. And that trained level runs, to, you know, behind everything else they can do. And once they get a few feats, they can bring it up on par but so basically, if you ever want to use advanced weapons, unless you're a fighter, you're you're pretty much always going to take an extra minus two to hit from any other weapon you might choose. I know the ancestry uh, weapon feats will allow you to treat an advanced weapon as a marshal. So there is that. Yes, Maybe that is the only like that eventually. Yeah, that is the only thing where if they are ancestral weapons, there's a benefit there for you. But I think the Don Chalk is pretty cool, but I like tethered throne weapons. I think they're neat because it's a. Uh, it's a tethered throne, 1d8 pulled arm. I agree. But like the callus, it is a 1d8 slashing sword. It's a deadly d8, uncommon and versatile. That's it. And I'm like, eh, not to me, not super. It's a short sword. It, it's a it, no, it's a long sword with deadly d8. No, it's a short sword with deadly d8. Wait, hold long on. Sword. No. It's a d8. It's a long sword with a deadly d8. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Not worth it. And then, of course, we have the mile of student of perfection feats oh my god i don't know these go on for so many of these things i think (laughs) so so cool but then we get a jalmari i I don't want to get too far into those if if you know what you're looking for you know what you're looking for it's really only five feats and then you have the supporting focus skills that you would get with those feats as well the focus spells that you would get and after there, we jump into the Mana Wastes at large. I know we already hit Alkenstar, but they separate it, and the Mana Wastes are later. And It's they Mad are... Max. Yeah, it's it is. It's so cool. I love the art. It's like Knowles. Uh, the main art in this is Knowles, and they, they look like they've got some you know, scarring on them and whatnot, and there's some weird eldritch monstrosity in the background. Everything looks very, very cool. And there's a whole section on Wellspring Surge chances for just casting spells, depending where you are in the mana waste, that you have to roll a flat check. So if you are in the mana waste, you basically will roll a flat check for to, to trigger a Wellspring Surge, basically. And then there's critical, special critical failure effects. There's also some specific hazards to the Wellspring... Or- 
some specific hazards to the mana wastes. Cracked Earth, Mana Whirl, uh, Spell Pitchers, lots of really interesting things that, you know, you don't necessarily have to put in the mana waste. You could probably find a reason for them to show up in your game in other places. Uh, but very, very neat. Uh, I like having new interesting hazards that aren't just like falling rock trap, hole in ground. Oh, look, a side. You know, the interesting stuff. Yeah, and it looks like gnolls, uh, lizard folk, and goblins play a a large ancestral role in the man of waste. And the art, there's a lot of art of them, and it is pretty funny. <laughs> oh, I love the art. This is very cool. It's like, they really let their freak flag freak flags fly when they wrote the art for this or did the art for this. But there's one where it's like a little tiny settlement and there's these giant looking sandworm things looming over it. Very, very, very apocalyptic. I am a fan. There's not a lot of stuff about adventuring in the Advana Wastes. We don't Actually, really I don't have think that this section one has here. This section no, we get all. the hazards and then you have a little bit about um, mana vials, which are condensed uh, mana miasma, um, and it's like a it's a bomb, is what it is. It's it's an alchemical bomb essentially. It hits something and it, it forces a wellspring surge, is what it does, which can be really awesome or really awful. So that's always fun. It's like having a deck of many things that you just randomly pull something out of <laughs> the good old rod of wonder. Ah, uh, yes. And next, I think next. Next next is next? next? Yeah, I was just going to say, next we have next. <laughs> next is pretty much um, Ar- Arcane Galt's Gulch, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, this is like a land of high magic. It's like there high are... magic, low, uh, like low restrictions on magic usage. Crazy yeah, stuff. Every, all of the art from here is, you know, flying obelisks and wizards everywhere and just magical everything. The water's all rainbow colored in every picture. I mean, it is just like, yeah, um, a magic land on steroids. There's oh, yeah. doorways oh, that you know look like they're nothing but portals with creatures coming out of them. And it's, it's very cool. There's a piece of art in here that looks like Three xenomorphs from aliens doing a seance with somebody else. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I love it. I think those uh, guys were in uh, introducing the Bestiary Three. I recognize them. Two or three. They look very interesting. I don't know what they are. I've I've never fought. Now I want to find one and make you guys fight it in the show. They, I think they actually aren't really designed to be combative enemies either. I think they love to trade. <laughs> They look horrifying and vicious, but they're not. It's really funny. There's a town in here, home of the flesh forged, Iconus. And the art for the town, it almost looks like there's just glops of gore all over the top of the, the city gates and the walls and stuff. Yes. And I think I was reading on this one that there's like an entire like section of the city where there was this failed experiment or something, and it is like covered in this massive fleshy substance i think yeah, that's this one it's gross it's awesome and gross like i said it's 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 totally uh alchemy gone or it's totally magic gone wild anything goes there's no rules yeah this 
This is a very cool setting book in the sense that, yeah, if you want to have a absolutely insane adventure that, you know, covers everything like this is the place the impossible lands are where you want to play clearly <laughs> i mean if yeah i mean you <laughs> i just feel like you would be walking from lord of the rings to harry potter to star wars all in one adventure <laughs> now we're now we're waiting for uh what is it numeria is where the where the the spaceship crashed waiting on that book Actually, I'm really not lading on that book. I'm not a big fan of that setting. But you know what? I'm not everybody, so I'm sure somebody's going to love it. I was going to say, I'm sure there's plenty of people super excited for it. Oh, yeah, totally, man. The Black Prince stuff is neat. I love the lore around the Black Prince. I just don't like, I don't like lasers in my fantasy setting. But that's me. I think down here. Oh, I've got to find the page. There it is. Adventuring in next. They have a lot of interesting stuff here. The there's old Cuba level Force. level 25 I mean, that- magic item in here. Yep, and you know, a cube of force. I think people might recognize all the way back to basic Dungeons and Dragons. That has been around for a long time, and it is back here. <laughs> yeah, see, I am not an old school D and D person, so this was a this was a new one for me. I think it's kind of neat. We also have the tattoos you were excited about. I have wanted some cool tattoos. Um. So there's one of them that lets you get hypercognition, which is fun if you're a lore class, like a, a, a or a lore class or just something that really likes um, having high end skills or something. So investigator, rogue, um, a bard, anything that's going to be doing a lot of knowledge checks, being able to cast hypercognition once per hour. Neat. This book has so much great stuff. And it keeps going in this section. There are several ooze-related items. There's a ooze alchemical bomb. I actually really liked the oxygen ooze. It's an alchemical item. It's only level four. And basically, it is this almost stick of green ooze chewing gum that you chew it up. And for the next hour, you can breathe through this gum that like covers your, your mouth and your nose. And you can breathe through it environments where you couldn't normally breathe. And then it harmlessly dries up and falls away. So, yeah, you can use it underwater. You can use it where it's poisonous. I mean, it's this is such a really cool item. And for how cheap it is, it's like, yes, you can be sure as Mordrin's going to pick this up soon. Ooze pick is cool, too, because it allows you to get a lock pick that is a really good lock pick. For a while. Yeah, you right. pour this little canister of ooze directly into a lock and it forms and hardens into it and it gives you a, a plus two bonus at I think that's its is that its yeah, that's its first bonus level four item. First bonus is plus two, and then it goes to a plus three at level ten. But yeah, the, the pick lasts for a hour. So if you're in a dungeon, it's, you know, this is going to help you out if you're in some area where there's a bunch of locks. It's not a, you know, a one and done type thing. It'll last for quite a while. Yeah, and it's, level it's 10 will last for eight hours. So pretty much your majority of your adventuring day. I really like the implications of specially treated oozes for things. I think it's a really neat idea um, that could be used more. Uh, to greater effect. So here's some design space guys. I know we have the Oosfoka Galarian that he did a lot of stuff like that. Um, 
But this is another neat design space for creators is these like treated alchemical oozes for accomplishing specific things. We also have some new um, incarnate spells. A ninth level summon ancient flesh forged, which is basically giant creatures just made of bone and flesh. And there's several different ones that you can summon and they do many different things. But there's a level five one. I think that's actually one of the lowest of the incarnate spells that I've seen. Summon healing servitor. And this one's just really cool. It When it arrives, uh, all allies within 20 feet gain 20 temporary hit points. And then when it departs, it heals 3d8 hit points for all living creatures. And undead take that much damage as well. So it's actually a really cool incarnate spell. I think that pretty much wraps it up for the regional items and gear and mechanics though we have a couple other sections i don't know that we'll do two episodes on them they're neat they got a lot of cool uh we got a lot of cool creatures in here that are really really neat um we've got some additional feats for heritages like flesh warp and sylph and the like some more geniekin stuff but that kind of wraps it up, I think, for our adventuring. Uh, one thing I do want to mention that I thought was really cool, they have a list of enemies by region that you can encounter. Uh, it's right before their little monster manual section. And I just thought that was a really cool thing. It's not a table. It's not a roll on this table. But it is just really cool that they... I love that. And that was just something that harkens back from the old days of D&D. If you're, you know, if you're in the forest, you're going to find these things. And I noticed in the recent decades, they've kind of moved away from that. Like, oh, anything could be anywhere. And I really enjoy the aspect of, oh, you're in Alkenstar. Here's a list of creatures that you are very likely to see while you are in Alkenstar. So I thought that part was really cool. And yes, it does also have a, a whole section. Uh, I think there's another dozen or so new monsters that are introduced in here. Uh, there's a, a bit where they talk about gods of the region. They're not new gods. Some of them might be new, but they just go over some of them in more detail. Ergotho is in there and some other popular ones. So this this book has a lot to offer and it is such a fun read. It is a wild ride and I do not think anyone picking this up would be disappointed with it. Oh, yeah, there's something for everyone in here. You should buy this book if you haven't. You haven't bought this book? Yeah, go buy this book. It's so good. What are you doing? Go buy it. Stop. Stop what you're doing right now. Get on Paizo's website. Try really, really hard to buy it. <laughs> Is that a dig at Paizo's website? I didn't say anything. <laughs> I just said people should try their hardest. You know, sometimes anything you that's to. worth doing is sometimes hard to do. <laughs> Well, I think that about wraps it up for the week. We Again, we've gone long, but I, I think oh, we God, might be done with long. the Impossible Lands. We, we've covered everything in a nutshell. And like, and really, we have barely touched on the stuff in here. <laughs> All right. Well, as usual, I'm Christian. And I'm Trevor. And you all have a great week. Bye, y'all. <laughs>